Welcome to the Worcester Talking newspaper, recorded on Thursday the 22nd of March 2018, by kind permission of the editor of the Worcester News. Your team this week are Paddy, Jane, Janet, Duncan, Hugh and John. And as usual, we have this week's headlines, thought for the day, birthdays, deaths and letters to the editor. Lighting up times this week... Obviously, we've just passed the summer, the spring equinox, so pretty much equal amounts of light and dark. So the lighting up time is uh, 6.27. Sorry. Uh, yes, lighting up time is 6.27 p.m. And then uh, it goes off at 6.07 a.m. This week's headlines are on Friday, March the 16th, Manhunt. On Saturday the 17th, Battered. On Monday the 19th, City Jobs Boost. And Tuesday the 20th, School Hoax Bomb Threats. Wednesday the 21st, Taxi Drivers Taught to Spot Child Victims. And Thursday the 22nd, Drugs Gang Found Guilty. Thought for the day comes from John this week. The great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Moving on now to births and deaths. Uh, The birthdays this week... Uh, On the 27th, both on March the 27th, Bill Creaney and Janet Mitra. So happy birthday to both of those. Uh, And now on to the death announcements. Uh, Dennis Hall passed away peacefully on February the 28th, age 88 years. Michael Richard O'Grady passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on Saturday, February the 10th. Vern Roberts passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on February the 28th, aged 77 years. John Salisbury passed away peacefully on February the 20th, uh, aged 89 years. Joyce Price passed away peacefully in Worcestershire Royal Hospital on March the 8th, aged 91 years. And Ivy Florence Underwood passed away peacefully in hospital on February the 19th, aged 99 years. George Brian Wellham passed away on March the 10th. And Christine Ziegler died peacefully at home on March the 15th. Mary Leslie Lazenby, Lazenbury, I beg her pardon, uh, known as Bob, formerly of Barbourne, passed away peacefully at Albion Lodge Retirement Home on February the 28th, aged 98 years. Robert Bob Owen passed away peacefully at the Lawns Nursing Home on March the 8th, aged 96 years. And Diana <coughs> Carol Spencer passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital following a bravely fought battle with illness on Monday, the 19th of March, aged 82. Jean Jackson passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on February the 19th, aged 85.
Okay, that's the last of the death announcements. Uh, <clears throat> and I'll start off with the first headline from Friday, March the 16th. <clears throat> A man who was previously jailed for manslaughter is wanted by the police. Daniel Martin, aged 29, was jailed for 10 years in 2013 for killing convicted sex offender Andrew Heath. Police say he's wanted on recall to prison as he is believed to have breached the conditions of his licence. He's described as a white man, around 5 feet 7 inches, of a small build with short brown hair. Detective Inspector Dave Knight said, We would like to trace Daniel Martin as soon as possible and would ask the public not to approach him if they see him, but to call police. Mr. Martin is believed to have connections to Worcester. If you have any information regarding his whereabouts, we would ask you to please contact us. Martin, who was living in Canterbury Road, Ronxwood, in 2011, set fire to a wheelie bin and pushed it up against the front door of Mr. Heath's Warnden flat in the early hours of December the 14th that year, sparking a rapidly spreading and ferocious blaze in which the 52-year-old was killed. Martin later threw stones at the house in order to try and wake Mr Heath after the blaze caught hold. Sentencing Martin for manslaughter at Birmingham Crown Court, Justice Thirlwall said the crime was shockingly stupid. She said the 25-year-old had intended to do something so frightening it would cause Heath to move away from the area where he had lived since 2001. He was released on licence from Her Majesty's Prison, Birmingham, in October 2017. Anyone who has seen Daniel Martin or knows of his whereabouts, call West Mercia Police on 101. Alternatively, you can give information anonymously by calling Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111. Saturday, March the 17th. A young man attacked with a baseball bat, hammer and machete. A young man was brutally attacked by four men with a baseball bat, hammer and machete. Armed police were called after a 40-year-old man suffered a dislocated shoulder, cuts to his head and a sliced wrist in Drake Avenue, Dines Green, Worcester. The men knocked on the door before carrying out the attack on the victim. His mother, Rachel Jones, claimed the attackers were carrying a gun but no firearm was found by police. Miss Jones said, It was around 10 o'clock Monday night. Four men attacked my son. They had a hammer, machete and a gun. My son had head injuries and a dislocation of his shoulder. It was very scary and armed police arrived. He only came home from university to surprise me for Mother's Day. It's such a scary place to live in this world. You can't even sit in a friend's house. His head had stitches and his wrist was sliced. He was hit in the head with a hammer and in the body with a machete. They asked him to give money, but he said he didn't have anything. They attacked him four on one. That is just pure cowardice. 
An ambulance service spokesman said the victim suffered head, wrist and shoulder injuries and was taken to hospital. He has since been discharged. The attack is the second this year in Drake Avenue, following a suspected stabbing and police believe the incidents to be linked. Residents told the Worcester News that the attacks have left them living in fear. A woman who lives on the street said, I have lived here 18 years and it is the most worrying it has been to live here. I always ask my son in his 20s to ring when he has got in, even now. We had a break-in at our shed last year. Not much was taken, but the fact that it has happened and that they came into our garden is very concerning. Another resident said, I have a teenager who goes out and about to the local park, etc. So it is worrying to hear of something like this. Investigating officer, Detective Constable Tom Birchley of West Mercia Police, said we are currently investigating this offence in an attempt to identify and to locate those responsible, and we have a number of ongoing inquiries. We are remaining open-minded as to whether this case is linked to a similar one that took place on January the 30th. It is believed that the offenders may have known may be known to both sets of victims in these incidents. Officers from the local Safer Neighbourhood Team have been conducting reassurance patrols in the area and carrying out house-to-house inquiries as we investigate the incident. And we would like to hear from anyone who witnessed any suspicious activity in the area or who witnessed the offence. In the previous attack, on January the 30th, two men knocked on the door of a house and attacked a man and a woman. The offenders then stole items from the home before leaving. Locals said they believed it was a stabbing, but the police were unable to confirm that. Anyone with information about the latest incident can contact police on 101, quoting incident number 734S of Monday, March the 12th. My headline is Sanctuary's Job Bonanza and this was Monday, March the 19th. Up to 500 roles could be created uh, uh, by the Sanctuary group, it seems. This is to build offices on the site of a former car dealership in Worcester. Sanctuary Group wants to expand by building a five-storey office building on the Suzuki Garage site in Farrier Street at the back of its Sanctuary House headquarters in Castle Street. If it gets the go-ahead, the new office will have 3,804 square metres of floor space on the 1,820 square metre site and would create 500 new full-time jobs, plus more during construction. The plan has been welcomed as a boost in the city's economy and a way to support growth. Nick Kay, Worcester City Council Economic Development and Regeneration Team leader, said the building will provide office accommodation within the city for approximately 
500 additional jobs once completed, along with additional jobs during its construction, and as such will have significant benefits towards employment opportunities within Worcester. This level of investment from sanctuary housing should be encouraged and the potential job creation should be strongly supported. It is hoped that, if approved, the facility will positively invest in training apprenticeships to ensure a workforce is available locally to satisfy the occupier's future employment needs. Maria Dunn, Worcester City Council Economic Development and Planning Policy Team Leader, added, This is a variation to a previously approved scheme. This is a sustain, whoops, sustainable location for intensive office use and very welcome development that will help to close the gap between the targets in the South Worcestershire Development Plan for Employment Supporting Development and the slow progress towards these targets since 2006. The plans submitted to Worcester City Council would include 25 spaces for bikes as well as two disability car parking spaces. Sanctuary Group is a leading housing and care provider and employs more than 1,500 people in Worcestershire and 12,500 people nationally. A spokesman for Sanctuary Group said Worcester is a great place to live and work. We are ambitious to grow in the local area. The application to build new office premises on Farrier Street, backing onto our existing Worcester campus on Castle Street, is to replace elapsed planning permission and to give us expansion opportunities if required. To view the plans online, visit Worcester City Council, click on planning applications and search P181D0093. Hoax bomb threats have been made to schools in Worcester. Police say Newbridge Short Stay School in Midland Road and Nunnery Wood Primary School in Prestwich Avenue were among the hundreds around the country that were sent an email saying a bomb would be detonated on their grounds. Police said Bishop Perone C of E College in Merriman's Hill Road was also sent an email, but the school has denied this. James Laidler, head teacher of Newbridge School, said, It is really worrying, and we are concerned we will get more emails like this in the future. It can really disrupt the business of the day for teaching and learning. It is really concerning in terms of time-wasting for the police. We reacted in line with our policy and sought advice from the police. More than 400 schools and colleges across the UK were targeted yesterday morning, causing many to be evacuated. It has been reported that the emails sent to schools have originated from the United States. The emails claim that an explosive device will be detonated on school grounds if cash is not handed over. The emails, classified as malicious hoax communications, were reported to West Mercia Police yesterday. That would be on Monday. 
Investigations are ongoing at this stage and officers do not believe there to be a credible threat. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, We take hoaxes extremely seriously. They divert limited police resources and cause disruption and alarm to the public. We are committed to identifying those responsible for such actions and bringing them to justice. Anyone with information about these incidents or any of the other incidents should call 101. Alternatively, information can be provided anonymously to the independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111 or via crimestoppers-uk.org. Nunnery Wood Primary School was unavailable for comment. Worcestershire County Council declined to comment. Wednesday, March the 21st. Taxi drivers taught to spot child victims. Fast food owners and hoteliers also chosen for protection course. Taxi drivers, fast food owners and hoteliers are being offered a training course to tackle child sexual exploitation. They have been chosen to take the course are these they have seen be seen to be the industry most likely to be used to carry out the crime. It has been welcomed by the taxi trade in the city, but a fast food owner said it should be open to all professions. The course, funded by West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion and delivered by Young Solutions, a charity dedicated to protecting young people in partnership with Worcester City Council, aims to help recognise the signs of abuse. More than 2,400 children were victims of sexual exploitation in gangs and groups from 10 August 2010 to October 2011, according to the NSPCC. Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion said taxi drivers are in a perfect position in the community to spot signs when children and young people are being trafficked across West Mercia. A taxi driver who has been trained in child sexual exploitation, or CSE, can become part of a network that can prevent this horrendous crime from happening. Most of those who attend this training aren't always aware of what CSE is, so giving them this knowledge is invaluable. We aren't asking people to play the role of the police, but these individuals could provide information which they might feel is insignificant, but could lead to children being protected and offenders being brought to justice. Last week, to coincide with the National Child Sexual Exploitation Awareness Day, taxi driver training, which includes a short presentation to help drivers to identify and recognise the signs of child sexual exploitation, understand their responsibilities and how to help at-risk children and young people took place in Worcester. Some 70% of taxi drivers in the city took part. Leslie Borthwick of Worcester Taxi Drivers Association said, I think it's better to have had the training. I suppose you may not know if something is right or wrong, 
I think with the training, you would think it is wrong. You would see a little bit more and would think to report it. It was all right. I've done training before and I don't think there was enough awareness. It was informative, but I think it could have been more in depth. It is very difficult to know how to realise a child is being sexually exploited. And it's better to have knowledge of how to notice the signs. As the last course was fully booked, another course is currently being arranged. Mohammed Khalil, General Manager of Founds Hotel in City Walls Road, said he and his staff would be happy to take part in the specialist training. He added, I think it would be a good idea. I have heard about the scheme before and I think it's a good idea for the whole country to receive training. But Maskeen Shah, manager of Caspian Pizza in Sidbury, said he felt that the scheme wrongly singled out certain professions. He said, I think everyone should get it. Everyone should have that type of training, but they shouldn't be singling out certain groups. First line, of course, is parents. Then it should be teachers, police, ambulance service, then takeaways, taxi drivers, etc. Maybe more so taxi drivers. They have the time to talk to them. We don't actually have the time to talk to them or time to see them. The majority of our trade is online. He added, everyone should be aware. Pete Sugg, Chief Officer for Young Solutions, added, we're so grateful to have the funding to allow us to deliver this training. It's so important to educate people about where CSE may be happening and it's about making the groups we deliver the training to to think of areas and places they may not have thought about before. Right, now this headline is Cocaine Gang Found Guilty. A puppet master and his drugs lieutenants have been found guilty of conspiracy to supply cocaine in bulk to be sold on the streets of Worcester. Puppet master Mohammed Nasser, his son Anjib Nasser, Robert Degas, Degaris, sorry, and Stephen Binning were all found guilty of the cocaine conspiracy after a four-week trial at Worcester Crown Court. There was a sombre, subdued reaction in the dock and gasps from the packed public gallery when the unanimous guilty verdicts were delivered by the foreman of the jury. The jury, made up of seven men and five women, retired on Tuesday afternoon to consider its verdict and returned to continue its deliberation the next day. Before the jury returned, Judge Robert Dukes QC had asked for decorum from the public gallery after a mobile phone was dropped onto the ceiling of the dock the previous day. Police officers and security staff were also brought into the public gallery once the note from the jury arrived. The jury took four hours and 55 minutes to reach verdicts and some observers ran from the court as after the verdicts came in. Mohammed Nasser, aged 50, of Keswick Drive, Warnden, Worcester, was found guilty of two counts of conspiracy to supply cocaine between January the 1st, 
2015 and December the 8th, 2016, and a single count of conspiracy to transfer criminal property between January the 1st, 2015 and December the 8th, 2016. Arqueen Nazar, aged 22, of Bath Road, Worcester, Robert Degaris, aged 48, of Popert Drive, Worcester, and Stephen Binning, aged 35, of Audley Drive, Kidderminster, were each found guilty of a single count of conspiracy to supply cocaine. The prosecution was read led by John Butterfield QC. In his opening, he described Mohammed Nasser as the puppet master who pulled the strings, organising the bulk selling of the Class A drugs to the Astley James gang. The James Syndicate, via middlemen and street dealers, then sold the cocaine on to addicts and users. Members of the James gang already stood convicted of conspiracy to supply cocaine following a trial which finished last November, and part of the prosecution case was the links between both conspiracies, one a buying and the other a selling network in the chain. Mr Butterfield described the gang as peddling the misery of drugs to line their own pockets. Degaris and Binning both acted as drugs couriers at different stages of the conspiracy, while Aquib Nasser wore the captain's armband, meeting Ashley James while his dad was away on a course in Derby. The cases involved a wide range of evidence, including call logs showing contact between the conspiracies and the cell site and analysis which placed them at specific locations at key times during the conspiracy. Automatic number plate recognition cameras for vehicles, CCTV footage, police surveillance observations, DNA evidence and clandestine recordings from a bugged van also featured. Part of this conspiracy involved Mohammed Nasser and Robert Degaris was linked to another conspiracy led by Ashley James and also involving Jamie Jones, Todd Porter, David Warren, Chris Corn and Marcus Henney. Judge Dukes reminded all four defenders in custody, adding, the time for bail has now passed because all these defendants face significant custodial sentences. He said he would pass sentence and said if members of the jury wished to return to observe, they would be welcomed as honoured guests. Okay, following on from the headlines, we'll now read some other stories over the last seven days, and I'll start with a story from Monday's edition. Uh, Plans that could help reduce congestion for passengers travelling between Birmingham New Street and Worcester have been delayed for a second time. The scheme to provide a shuttle service of three trains per hour in each direction between Bromsgrove and Birmingham New Street have once again been set back. This would have meant less crowded trains travelling from Birmingham New Street through Bromsgrove and on to Worcester in the hourly service. 
Funding to electrify the Bromsgrove line and extend Birmingham's cross-city line was secured back in 2010, with the work expected to take place between 2011 and 2014. The scheme was expected to be completed by January, but the date was later revised to May. Now, further changes to Network Rail's works schedule have delayed the project once again, meaning the extra trains won't be in operation until the end of July. The electrification work is expected to be finished by the beginning of May, but West Midlands Railway will then need to train its drivers on the upgraded route. A full service, including the existing diesel services, would then come into operation by Sunday, July the 29th. A spokesman for the operator said, the extension and electrification of the cross-city line to Bromsgrove will provide four trains per hour in each direction, quadrupling the current number of services calling at the station. Along with the recently opened new Bromsgrove station, it is providing passengers with a much better railway in and out of Birmingham. We apologise for the slight delay for the full service to be introduced, but are confident the much improved train service will be worth the wait. The Bromsgrove passengers will be spread out over four trains, freeing up space to passengers travelling into Worcester and Hereford. This is from Friday, March the 16th. The council serves up bid for tennis court cash. City councillors have decided they will approach the Lawn Tennis Association for up to £70,000 as part of a major project to upgrade tennis facilities in Worcester. But there is just one snag, which means work can't start quite yet. The Council's Environment Committee agreed to a plan to spend £50,000, which was given to the Guildhall by Worcestershire County Council as part of the new road roadworks, on a scheme to improve public tennis courts in Cripplegate and Gelvelt Parks. City councillors hope to get a grant from the Lawn Tennis Association for up to £70,000, with the possibility of an interest-free loan of £50,000 on top of that. But it will mean that the City Council would have to spend £100,000 of its own money on the project, and that could come from the income generation reserves, meaning that the plan needs the approval of the Income Generation Subcommittee. But councillors were all in favour of the plan, especially making tennis available to more people. Councillor Richard Udall said... I learnt to play tennis on the courts in Cripplegate Park. It might even have been me that damaged them. How best can we help people who've never experienced tennis enjoy this great game? Can we hire rackets out and make coaches available for hire as well? It's no good having great new courts if you don't have the equipment, which can be expensive or don't know how to play the game. Committee Vice-Chairman, Councillor Alan Feeney, added, Perhaps we can make the rackets free for a deposit. While courts might be hired out at a rate of £7 per hour, 
Council officer Alice Davy said there would be times when they were free to use, especially for children. Councillor Feeney responded, Can we make sure that those free times are not useless? The committee unanimously approved the report and the matter will be passed to the Income Generation Committee to approve the use of council reserves. Committee Chairman Councillor Joy Squires said, This is a great development with so many positives. Now, my headline is Party for Equality to Field the First Candidate. There will be a new party fighting for votes in Worcester this May. The Women's Equality Party, WEP in brackets, co-founded by TV presenter Sandy Toxvig, will be fielding its first candidate in elections for Worcester City Council. Lisa Taylor will be standing in the city's Bedwardine ward and she says she wants to do politics differently. Miss Taylor said there's never been a better time for change in local politics. If I'm elected, I will put women and girls at the centre of the council's decision-making. At the moment, less than a quarter of our city councillors are women. That's not good for Worcester. The council is not making the decisions that benefit all our communities at the moment, and I want to change that. It's clear that politics is broken at a local and national level, and I want to work with good local politicians from all our political parties to make change for the better. Ms Taylor is the leader of the Women's Equality, Equality Party, a local branch, and has lived and worked in Worcester for 25 years, running the Youth Centre in St John's and working with young people from Dines Green, Lower Wick and St John's. She said, we're looking forward to having some interesting conversations on the doorsteps by focusing on fairness, equal access to services and balanced representation on the council. I'll work to make sure every resident in the ward gets the treatment they deserve. The Worcestershire branch of the Women's Equality Party has nearly 350 members and supporters in two counties. Bedwardine currently has three sitting councillors who are all Conservatives. Twelve seats will be up for grabs in the elections on Thursday, May the 8th. The City Council is currently on a political knife edge with 17 Conservatives, 16 Labour councillors and two Greens. A Worcestershire dog owner took home one of the top obedience prizes at Crufts. Philomena Barnes, who has been competing at Crufts for over 30 years, and seven-year-old working sheepdog Floozy came first in the final. <clears throat> After competing against some of Britain's best dogs for the coveted title, all competitors at the championships had made it through to the final from one of the 46 championship shows that hosted qualifying classes for the Crufts Obedience uh, Championships. Philomena Barnes from Bradley Green, I'm not sure where Bradley Green is, but uh, she said, I feel 
It feels fantastic. I never thought that I would win. I knew I had a chance on the day because anything can happen at Crufts and that's what makes it so magical. We keep on coming back to Crufts because we love it. The atmosphere is great and when moments like this happen, it's all worth it. Crufts took place last weekend. There's been £20,000 worth of joy for the Samaritans. Last year's Worcester City run raised half the annual budget for the City Samaritans group. The run raised £20,000 of the annual £40,000 budget for the Worcester Samaritans. Now the charity is appealing for volunteers to take part in this year's half marathon and 10K run in order to raise more funds. Run organisers have chosen the group as its official charity partner for the second year in a row. This year's race takes place on Sunday, September the 16th. Meg Richards, director of the Worcester Samaritans, said, We're determined to build on that success. We were hugely grateful to everyone who made it possible to raise so much money last year. Because it was such a brilliant day, we're confident that plenty of runners will return and we'd love to welcome even more to the Worcester Samaritans team. They can get involved knowing that all of the money raised will be used to deliver vital services here in Worcester and the surrounding area. Maggie Stevens completed the 10K run for Worcester Samaritans in 2017 and plans to take part in the event again this year. She said it was a brilliant day with celebrities such as Steve Cram, Tanny Gray-Thompson and inspirational 401 marathon man Ben Smith involved in the event, plus, of course, local media and so many supporters. It was just great. So much so that I'm doing it again this year. Worcester City Run founder Steve Cram was impressed by the fundraising efforts for Worcester Samaritans last year. He said it was great to see so many runners in the charity's distinctive green vest. It's important to us that Worcester City Run supports a local good cause like this in a city that has embraced our events so warmly. 3,200 people took part in last year's event. Entries for this year's events are now open at WorcesterCityRun.com. Now here's a gardening piece. A homeless hostel is building a kitchen garden to help residents deal with traumatic experiences from their childhood. St Paul's Hostel starts work on the garden at its site in Tallow Hill, Worcester, with the project due to last for three weeks. Residents of the property will transform what is currently an overgrown patch of land into an area of fruit trees and vegetables. Jonathan Sutton, chief executive of the hospital, said the garden will provide therapeutic benefits and free produce for the canteen. He said, tending and growing something is good for you and allows people that quiet and reflective space to come to terms with things that have happened to them in the past. We have been really looking forward to the development of our kitchen garden. Residents building the garden will level the ground, construct raised beds 
make a path and start planting. planting. The patch being developed is around 35 metres by 10 metres and faces Newtown Road. Mr Sutton hopes that the project will help residents to tackle traumatic experiences they may have gone through as children. He said for nearly two years, St Paul's Hospital has adapted, adopted a trauma-informed approach to understand why someone arrives at our door. Traumatic experiences affect a person's psychological ability to cope and their biological capacity to regulate the stress hormones and this can shed light on understanding the causation of chronic homelessness. Mr Sutton had the residents of the hostel showed an alarmingly high number of adverse childhood experiences such as abuse or violence in a study carried out between December and January. Some 19 residents were screened during this period with the average number of ACEs far exceeding that of the general population. Those taking part in the kitchen garden project received boots, vests, hard hats and health and safety training from the Worcester Community Trust. And there's a picture of Jonathan Sutton the CEO at St Paul's Hospital with his plans of the garden. Turning the single carriageway section of Worcestershire's of Worcester's Southern Ring Road into a four-lane highway is something that should be approved, according to a new report to county councillors. The report to members of Worcestershire County Council's Planning Committee <coughs> excuse me from the authority's development manager, recommends they give consent to a scheme to widen the often clogged road between Powick and Ketch roundabouts. Though given that the applicant to County Hall is the County Council itself, the fact that the recommendation by the Council's development manager is for approval is hardly a surprise. The report says the Southern Ring Road provides a vital link between the M5, the wider strategic road network south and west of Worcester, and towns west of the city. The plans would see upgrades and improvements to two roundabouts and also an entirely new bridge constructed over the River Severn parallel to the existing Carrington Bridge. The report says... The, the proposed new bridge would have three spans rather than six to minimise construction works within the floodplain. If built, the new bridge will carry traffic heading west towards Malvern and the western side of the city, while the existing bridge will, in time, be dedicated to traffic heading east towards the M5. A pedestrian and cycle underpass will be integrated into the structure of the Carrington Bridge and the plan is supported in principle by Worcester City Council, Malvern Hills District Council and St Peter's Parish Council within the city. The report says if approved, if approved work would start in March 2019 and take about two years. 
The decision whether to approve the scheme will be taken at the Planning and Regulatory Committee meeting at County Hall on 10am on Tuesday the 27th of March. And speaking personally, it couldn't come sooner. No. Different. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't. Uh... No, that's all right. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, we're now going to uh, go to the letters section of the uh, Worcester News. So over to Jane to read the first one. This is from Thursday, March the twenty-second, from David Withy of Malvern. Sir, your recent article, Worcester City Co County Council learns lessons from filing late accounts last year has certainly raised some wry smiles, particularly from former Treasurer's Department members. The facts emerging are indeed shocking. No regular reporting on the progress of the accounts to the finance leadership team. Instead, no team to do it. All seconded to other projects. And then the real shocker. One of the big challenges is knowing where the data is held in the new accounting system and getting it out for the right format. How could they report on progress when they were obviously trying and failing to cope with a new and apparently incomprehensible accounting system? The report is an obvious attempt to paper over the cracks of what appears to be a state of thinly veiled chaos. The article ends with some comedy. In 2017 and 18, accounts were promised by the 17th of May. Which year is not mentioned? It might be 2019. But the next promise is almost unbelievable. These accounts would receive a major audit by May the 29th. Are we expected to believe that the major audit of a body with an annual gross expenditure of over £700 million can be achieved in only 12 days? What planet are these people living on? I have the thoughts here of Robin Smith of Worcester, who says, Sir, the opportunity to comment, it would appear that the South Worcestershire Council's are preparing a plan to identify and allocate sufficient land for travellers and travelling show people. In order to meet the requirements of the recently adopted South Worcestershire Development Plan, regarding Worcester City, two potential sites are worth consideration. First, the grounds of County Hall. Secondly, the vast grounds of Hinlib Hall. In both cases, these nomadic people would have easy access to basic essentials as running water, toilet facilities, waste disposal and obviously parking facilities for their numerous vehicles and caravans. Hindlip Hall were better for their security than the West Mercia Police Headquarters with their high-tech CC. TV system enabling officers to keep a watchful eye 24-7 on these vulnerable families. Perhaps a better option would be to County Hall, where officials responsible for travellers' welfare would be ideally situated to deal with benefit entitlements, children's schooling and medical requirements, etc. 
as part of this process, the South Worcestershire Committee are consulting on revised preferred options for a seven-week period from February the 28th to April the 18th, 2018. This document sets out the South Worcestershire Plan preferred sites to give people an opportunity to comment. Hopefully, Worcester ratepayers will respond constructively to this consultation period. And that's really (laughs) (laughs) tongue-in-cheek. I've got a letter here from L.M. Presley of Worcester. Sir, due to being a pensioner, like many others, I look around charity shops twice a week. But I wonder if the people of Worcester have noticed the extreme prices of used clothes, shoes and bags. On Wednesday, March the 7th, I went into Scope in St. Swithin Street. A pair of badly used loafers that were in need of repair, £8. A light blue medium shirt needing an iron, £5.50. St. Richard's Hospice, a single-breasted coat by Burton Taylor's, £26.50. And then I took a walk round Marks and Spencer's. A two-piece suit, brand new, £35. Shoes also new, £8. Whoever prices up these items in charity shops must either be very short-sighted, based on guesswork, or pricing up with a couldn't-care-less attitude, and any old price will do. I've had some good quality clothes from charity shops and don't mind paying good prices, but a lot of items should be binned or not displayed. This is disgusting. Public beware. This is about outdoor stimulation needed for children, I might add. About four times a week, I walk past a house in my road with my dogs. This particular house appears to have either one or two small children residing there. I can tell this from the toys strewn all over the floor. He's obviously looking in in the window. Sometimes there's nobody actually in the front room, just the massed ranks of discarded toys. It matters not what time of day I walk past. There is one thing always dominant as I gaze inside, a huge television set. Regardless of any human inhabitants, the television is always on, sometimes paused, but never actually switched off. Stranger yet, it's always showing, or paused to show, an episode of Peppa Pig. Now, while I'm sure that this is an excellent entertainment show for children, I wonder sadly that the poor mites might not grasp the realities of life outside their enforced prison. Perhaps the parents should consider taking their offspring out sometime and not merely sitting them in front of a television set. While I appreciate that children are much more cosseted these days for whatever reason, I can only hope that this is a rare occurrence in houses with children and not the normal course of events. I'm certainly glad that I had my childhood during the 1970s as I don't believe that watching incessant television, even Peppa Pig, can be healthy. That's Julie Rich Reynolds of Worcester. Now, C.B. Lee of Worcester says, Sir, I rarely vote at the local elections nowadays, as unfortunately many politicians have become mere puppets of Westminster. 
If proof be needed, the current drive with regard to house building is a case in point. Why are many cities, towns and villages taking this burden when they have insufficient infrastructure? Suitable employment for the potential new dwellers is very often many miles away, necessitating a com commute. This is only one of many problems due to a lack of thoughtful planning and consideration for the locality. This current obsession is no doubt keeping the construction industry buoyant. However, we may have a future legacy of empty houses and a depleted green belt. <laughs> okay, sir, I am told robots are being made so lifelike that you can't tell if it's a robot or a human being. <clears throat> it's easy to tell it. Look at it, smile and say hello. If it's a robot, it will return your greeting with a smile. If it's a human being, it will ignore you, put its head down and hurry away. That jaundiced comment came from J.L. Reynolds of Worcester. Um, there's another short one here. Um, Sir, rugby can be a dangerous game for schoolboys to play. Yet a head is reported to have made 11-year-old boys play against older boys to toughen them up. If parents object, they should complain. Heads are not gods. Some people say contributed danger builds character with children, but they don't say if it builds good or bad character. I think we should be told, and that's from Max Nottingham of Lincoln. This is from two very different subjects. It's from Alan Barton in Worcester. I could use so many clichés. Glass houses and stones, kettles and pots, but shooting oneself in the foot is probably the most apt. Obviously, Mr Max Burgess it was not aware of the article concerning the wearing of real fur by Julia Williams at the same race meeting he's so concerned about was appearing in the same edition as his letter. How veggies and vegans can possibly complain in the same newspaper regarding animal cruelty in cases which are so different, I do not know. While it's very sad when horses are injured or killed at a race meeting, it must be said that no one takes it harder than the jockeys, owners and trainers who take the utmost interest in the horse's welfare. Much less so, I think, in the case of those who supply real fur to the fashion industry. They neither care or know much how the unfortunate animal meets its demise, and the only interest they have is in the profit to be made from the fur, no matter how it's achieved. A brawl erupted sorry, outside McDonald's when door staff asked a customer to leave because he had a bottle of beer. <coughs> Aidan Corley his brother Nicholas Corley and Alexandra Vale, all admitting a fray following the attack at the restaurant in the Foregate in Worcester City Centre, which was captured on CCTV. Aidan Corley, aged 25, of the Grove Stourport, Nicholas Corley, aged 30, also of the Grove Stourport, and Alexandra Vale, aged 30, of Arley Common Stourport, all appeared before Judge Jim Tindall at Worcester Crown Court. Christopher Lester protests, pres, whoops, pr 
prosecuting says the incident on December the 10th last year began when one of the security men told Vale, you can't have bottles of beer in here. Despite some protest, the three men left the restaurant but remained by the door with two members of the security staff standing in the doorway, preventing them from coming back inside. The footage was played at Worcester Crown Court. Aidan Corley can be seen lunging forward and launching a punch before the others join in the attack. Vale is seen brandishing the beer bottle. At one point, Mr Lester said a security guard from another venue came to assist the door staff. One of the security men from McDonald's had to take a few days off work and lost money after suffering painful swelling to his cheek and headaches. All three men were effectively good character, although Nicholas Corley had a conviction for careless driving from 2010 and Vale a caution for being drunk and disorderly in 2007. The men were all interviewed by probation officers before they were sentenced. Michael Aspinall, representing Aidan Corley, said the father of two who worked in the self-employed builders accepted that he needed to be punished. Mr Aspinall said the father of one, Vale, who is trying to set up a microbrewery, had displayed deep embarrassment over what had happened. Jason Aris for Nicholas Corley said the father had worked in the US with children bereaved as a result of 9-11. He said the CCTV showed that Corley had kept his brother back to begin with. He said this was a moment of madness. He initially acted as a peacemaker and only got involved in the violence when his brother threw blows at the bouncer. Judge Jim Tyndall said the reality of the situation is that you're not criminals. This was behaviour of three ordinary, otherwise sensible young men who work and have family commitments who got drunk in the evening, completely and utterly lost control. It was an extremely unpleasant incident. Judge Tyndall said it was a three-on-two attack and Vale had brought a bottle to the fight. This is precisely the reason people are worried about going out in town in the evening, because they don't want to get caught up in this sort of trouble, he said. He sentenced all three to six months in prison, but in each case suspended the sentence for 12 months. They must all complete a 100 hours of unpaid work and pay compensation of £150 each to the security guard who was struck. And then they must also pay £50 each in costs and victim surcharge. A dedicated theatre admissions unit, a TAU, was officially opened at Worcestershire Royal Hospital by Worcester MP Robin Walker on Friday, March the 9th. The TAU, which has been up and running since the start of February, means patients coming into hospital for surgery have a dedicated, comfortable space where medical assessments and examinations can be undertaken before their procedure takes place. The new facility 
has six private consultation rooms and a dedicated seating area with comfortable chairs which were funded by the Friends of Worcestershire Royal Hospital. It is located just a short walk away from theatres. Dr Julian Burlett, consultant anaesthetist and divisional medical director for specialised clinical services, said, We have been working on creating this dedicated space for over two years and we are delighted it is now open as it will provide an enhanced experience for our patients, as well as improving efficiency on our wards and in our theatres. Previously, prior to surgery, patients had to wait to be admitted to a ward for their pre-operative assessments, but now this offers a dedicated space where they are admitted directly and can go through any concerns or queries with the surgeon, anaesthetist and nursing staff in private. Being located just a short distance from theatres, it also means that theatre lists can start promptly, avoiding any unnecessary delays. On his visit to open the unit, Robin Walker MP said, Congratulations everyone, it's great to hear what a difference this unit is already making to patients, so I am delighted to be able to officially open the unit. And now for a different sort of gardening, a pot plant grower. A vulnerable man has been ordered to destroy 17 cannabis plants growing in his attic, which he was using for pain relief following a serious head injury. Andrew Andrew O'Callaghan admitted to charges of producing the controlled Class B drug in tents in his home when appearing at Worcester Magistrates Court. The court heard that the 54-year-old had suffered a serious head injury in 2000 and suffers from a number of health problems, some due to the accident. Kerry Lovegrove, prosecuting, said O'Callaghan panicked when he thought the police were coming and attempted to hide the plants, resulting in officers finding some scattered across the floor. The court heard that the defendant suffers from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, and agoraphobia. The prosecutor said, following reports of a house fire on January the 25th, police attended the defendant's house in Mayfield Road, Worcester, and conducted a search. Officers found cannabis plants in his attic, the majority of which were in two tents, while electrical items used for the production of the drug were also found. Mrs Lovegrove said O'Callaghan accepted that the plants were his, but said he was growing them for medicinal purposes and not for sale to others. She said O'Callaghan admitted to smoking the cannabis two or three times a day, as well as using the drug to make cakes, watering the plants every few days. The court heard that he had a total of seven convictions for a total of 16 offences, with his last drug offence being in 1996. Barry Newton, defending, gave a letter to magistrates from O'Callaghan's GP, written in 2016, which he said expressed the doctor's shock that the defendant was not receiving employment and support allowance, ESA. The solicitor described his client as very vulnerable, but that prior to his injury, 
He had been living a full and productive life, working as a carpenter and tutor. The defendant is now in receipt of ESA and DLA and was ordered to pay a total of £325 in fines and prosecution costs. Now, here's a plea uh, to support children to read at home. Parents and guardians in Worcestershire are being urged by a national literacy charity to encourage children to read at home. The National Literacy Trust has launched a three-year campaign to try and get adults and children to share a story at home to help youngsters form reading habits. The Trust's latest annual survey shows nearly half of the children aged 8 to 11 are not reading with someone outside school, and this figure increases to 77% across the full school age range. And yet the survey reveals half of those who do read at home say it helps them to feel calm, while the Trust says there is evidence that those who don't read with someone at home do not generally enjoy reading as much as those who do read with someone at home. The survey shows an urgent need to encourage shared reading, given its direct impact on reading enjoyment and indications that children who enjoy reading more do better at school. Children and young people who enjoy reading very much are three times as likely to read above the level expected for their age. The Trust's campaign aims to get adults and children to read together for just 10 minutes a day to help youngsters to form reading habits, cement a love of reading, and reverse this worrying trend of not reading. Reading to a child on a daily basis through childhood for just 10 minutes a day is one of the most important factors in raising a reader for life. <coughs> Research shows that 65% of five to seven-year-olds read to themselves when they are read to nearly every day. And this rises to 73% for 8 to 13-year-olds. Reading for pleasure is positively linked with literacy-related benefits, as well as a higher performance in maths and science. Children who read for enjoyment are likely to do significantly better at school than their peers. The trusts add that as well as directly contributing to the development and enjoyment of independent reading, shared reading helps children feel calm and reassured and is shown to significantly help the bonding experience with the child for adults and improve well-being. Jonathan Douglas, who is director at the National Literacy Trust, said at the National Literacy Trust, we know that a love of reading can dramatically change a child's life story. Parents and carers play a crucial role in helping children discover this passion, and research shows that sharing a story with your child for just 10 minutes a day can significantly boost how well they do at school, at work and in life. Lauren Childs, Waterstones Children's Laureate, 
said sharing a story with your child is a lovely way of winding down at the end of the day. Reading together lets a child know by example that books are a good thing, creating a habit of reading and a special bond. As part of the drive to get more children reading, schools and nurseries are being encouraged to invite parents and children in for a storytelling session, create books, borrow boxes, and start book clubs at lunchtime or after school. More than 20 heritage properties ranging from a traditional red telephone kiosk to a vital part of Worcester Cathedral are under threat, according to the City Council. A report to the Authority's Planning Committee says that the range of buildings and structures are considered at risk because they are in very poor to very bad condition or because they are either vacant or because their future is uncertain. Perhaps the best-known or most conspicuous entry on the register is the Edgar Tower part of Worcester Cathedral. That is listed as being in a poor condition because of falls of sandstone and structural instability in the towers. Repairs to the south side of the tower are underway, while work on fixing the north side <coughs> excuse me, will start next month. At the very other end of the scale, a telephone booth in Bridge Street is also on the list. The box is one of the K6 type, which went into production in 1936 to celebrate the jubilee of King George V. The register says the kiosk is in a generally poor state, it is out of use and the door sealed shut. BT notified and works now authorised to be carried out. One of the most interesting items on the list is a sculpture of hop pickers by Scottish sculptor William Forsyth. The frieze showing hops so, sorry, the frieze showing women and men collecting hops from laden bows is at the apex of a building in Sansom Street, now an insurance company office, opposite the Hop Market Commercial Hotel. Forsyth was one of a well-known pair of sculptor brothers and he is credited with influencing much of the character of late Victorian Worcester and Malvern. The risk to the sculptures, which is in a fair condition, is that the traffic in Sansom Street means it suffers from high levels of pollution. The council is discussing with the owners of the building a plan to keep the Grade 2 listed frieze clean and maintained. Other items on the list include the pavilion at the Cinderella Sports Ground, where there are plans to build a new clubhouse and which might be transported to the Avoncroft Museum in Bromsgrove. The Scala Theatre in Angel Street, which is empty and in a poor state, and the empty ice factory in Bromyard Road, St John's. The City Council's planning committee will discuss the report at its meeting on Thursday. Police believe a bomb found in the city was a Second World War hand grenade. Officers placed a 200-metre cordon around the weapon after it was discovered in a field of Worcester's Crook Barrow Way on Thursday morning.
It's thought that the land was previously used as an army training area. West Mercia Police received a report about the explosive at 10.40am and it was detonated at shortly before 1pm. A spokesman for the force said the device was believed to be a World War II hand grenade. There was a cordon of 200 metres put in place on the field by the A4440, while the device was safely destroyed by the Explosive Ordnance Disposal, the EOD. West Mercia Police originally believed the explosive was a rifle grenade, but it now thinks it was a hand grenade. Coach driver Mike Hall, aged 29, from Kings Norton, Birmingham, saw the bomb squad at the scene around 11.30am whilst driving to Bromsgrove to pick up passengers. He said he last saw an EOD team in 2017 when a £500 Second World War bomb was found in Aston, Birmingham, near his home. Rob Adams, County and District Councillor for Norton, believes the bomb was linked to the former Norton barracks nearby. He said, I'm not surprised. I'm sure that the grenade is something that's been left over by the training. Thousands of soldiers went through Norton barracks. It's not the first time unexploded ordnance has been found. This is the one place in Worcester that this stuff would be found. Dennis Hodgkins, founder of the Norton Worcestershire Regiment Group, said that field was used as a training area. Obviously, some of the soldiers in the past have probably left them there. It's just human error. They keep finding them. It's very disturbing that there are unexplained items out there. Mr Hodgkins added that Norton Barracks was a major training area during the two world wars. Two live bombs were found in a field at the end of Brock Hill Lane, where the barracks used to be located in November 2016. The EOD team from Ashchurch in Tewkesbury destroyed the devices in controlled explosions. Right, now the latest on the pool site. The old Sands and Walk swimming pool site will be sold to the YMCA and Sanctuary Housing Association, councillors have agreed. City councillors at the Guildhall voted for the sale, which will enable the land to be used for replacement for the YMCA building in Henwick Road, which has been sold for student housing. Worried residents of Arboretum in Worcestershire packed the City Council meeting, hoping to persuade councillors not to sell the site for social housing, but were disappointed. A new centre might offer 76 rooms for young people in studios and one-bed apartments. The charity also wants to build a hub where young people can register their own start-up businesses and use workspaces and broadband. The Housing Association wants to build 22 two-bed houses for shared ownership. It was emphasised at the meeting that the details such as the size and appearance of any buildings would be dealt with through the planning system and that the only decision to be made on Tuesday was whether to sell the site. Alan Moorehouse of Worcester 
YMCA told the meeting, we think this is a fantastic way to provide genuinely affordable housing for young people in the city. It's absolutely not a hostel. Mr. Warhouse said that most of the tenants would either be in work or in education and training and would be charged a rent of £100 a week. Three local residents spoke against the proposals. Rebecca Lowe said, There has been no consultation with residents. This has been done confidentially and it feels underhand. We have had no opportunity to speak against it. We don't think the council are getting best value for the land and why hasn't it gone out to tender? The impact of 76 young people will affect a delicately balanced area which already has its problems. Other concerns, including the impact of extra traffic and demand for parking and the size and scale of any buildings and their impact on neighbours and low-level crime, noise and antisocial behaviour. Joy Squires, one of two councillors representing the Arboretum, drew applause when she said, we should take time to pause and talk with the residents and not plunge in prematurely. Deputy Leader of the Council, Mark Bayliss, said that Conservatives on the Policy and Resources Committee had wanted to use the space for a car park or green space, and it was Labour and Green councillors who had voted to use it for social housing. He also created, quoted the Chairman of the Arboretum Residents Association as saying that residents wanted the site to be used for housing, though members of the public replied they hadn't meant such high density for housing. Councillor Chris Mitchell, who represents St Clement Ward, said, I'm the councillor for the ward where the YMCA is now. It's in several years I've had one complaint about antisocial <coughs> behaviour it's extremely well run, so residents' minds can be at rest. Councillors, with the exception of Councillor Squires and her Arboretum colleague, Councillor George Squires, voted to sell the land to the YMCA and Sanctuary Housing for an undisclosed sum, but urged the two organisations to make a meaningful consultation with residents before submitting a planning application. Mm -hmm. Worcester City Council is on a mission to encourage more young people to consider a career in science, maths, engineering and technology. The council funded a new hands-on STEM activity zone at this year's Worcestershire Skills Show, including an iPad-powered Sphero robot assault course, augmented reality, T-shirts enabling exploration of internal organs, that can't be right, surely, augmented reality T-shirts enabling <laughs> exploration of internal organs, that's what it says, examples of how maths is used in the automotive industry and a construction challenge. 
Zoe Cheshire, Cheshire, a project leader at STEM Ambassadors Hub West Midlands, said, It's great to have so many young people working with the STEM Ambassadors and finding out more about where the STEM subjects could take them in their future careers. The Ambassador Hub is looking forward to continuing the collaboration with the Council by supporting more STEM activities in local schools in the future. <clears throat> the annual event at Chateau Impney in Droitwich attracted a record-breaking 2,300 high school students from across the county. Now in its sixth year, the Worcestershire Skills Show, which is organised by Worcestershire County Council and funded by the Worcestershire Local Enterprise Partnership and the Careers and Enterprise Company, gives young people the opportunity to have a go at job roles with local businesses and training providers on hand to advise on the skills and qualifications needed for different careers. Councillor Jeff Williams, Vice Chairman of Worcester, Council, Worcester City Council's Place and Economic Subcommittee, said... <clears throat> We were very pleased to be able to support the Worcestershire Skills Show for the first time this year. It's a fantastic event which gives thousands of young people the opportunity to have one-to-one -one careers advice with hundreds of local employers. There are excellent prospects locally for students who choose to pursue engineering and digital careers with employers such as Worcester Bosch and OpenGI leading the way. The manufacturing and engineering sector in Worcester accounts for 11% of employment. And I'm still trying to get my head round augmented reality T-shirts enabling exploration of internal organs. I wish someone could explain that one to me. Well, you'll be glad to know, apart from that, that the giraffes have arrived. <laughs> The special delivery of giraffe sculptures have arrived in Worcester. The eight feet tall fiberglass sculptures and their smaller relations are being collected by artists and schools to be decorated with colourful artwork before going on display for Worcestershire Stands Tall trial. A St Richard's Hospice fundraiser, the project will see the giraffes through the city's streets, open spaces and Crowngate Shopping Centre for 10 weeks from July the 9th to September the 16th. Artists will dec decorate the large sculptors, while schools and community groups will cover the calves in imaginative designs. Collecting her sculpture yesterday, that was a Friday, was mosaic artist Alison Turner from Bearwood near Birmingham. I'm absolutely over the moon to be selected to do a project like this for a good cause, she said. I'm so excited. Also collecting sculptures on Friday were other artists and representatives from schools across the county. Sarah Matthews, project manager for Worcester Stands Tall, said it's so exciting to see all our lovely sculptures arrive. They look so impressive, even all wrapped up. Artists and schools are now collecting their sculptures and will be begin de decorating them. We just can't wait to see snippets of their work as it unfolds. Worcester Stands Tall is a wild in art project brought to the city by
by St Richard's Hospice. Each sculpture has been funded by sponsors and event partners. The large sculptures will be auctioned this October to raise money for the St Richard's Hospice Build 2020 appeal. The smaller sculptures will be returned to the schools and groups which decorated them as a memento. The appeal aims to raise the final 1.4 million needed to build a bigger hospice, enabling more patients and families to be cared for in Worcestershire. The total cost for expanding and redeveloping the existing building in Wildwood Drive, Worcester, is 5.3 million. For more information about Build 2020, visit strichards.org.uk build slash build 2020. See worcestershirestandstall.uk for more on the trail or search Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now our next piece will gladden motorists' hearts. Worcestershire has some of the best kept roads in the West Midlands, new figures show. 3% of the county's A roads needed fixing in 2016-17, putting them in equal fourth out of the 14 local authorities in the West Midlands, despite having the second largest amount of A roads. Figures provided by the BBC Shared Data Unit showed the state of Worcestershire's roads over the past eight years and how much of our roads has needed attention. County Highways Chief Alan Amos said in Worcestershire we have some of the best roads and this is something that's been recognised recently by the Department for Transport. It's important that we continue to prioritise the quality of Worcestershire's roads. We're investing millions of pounds into reducing congestion through various countrywide initiatives to keep Worcestershire moving and our highways team do an excellent job of repairing roads all year round using a variety of maintenance techniques. Around 5% of Worcestershire's A roads needed fixing in 20, whoops, 2009 stroke 2010, a figure that fell to 4% in 2010 stroke 11 and remained at that percentage in 2011 stroke 12. The amount of road needed to be fixing fell by 1% in 2000 stroke 13 and has remained at that level. 3% of the 466.3 kilometres of A road in Worcestershire needed fixing last year, equal to almost 14 kilometres. One over eight years, the amount of road needing attention fell by 2%. The figures for Worcestershire's 3,608 k's of minor roads paint a similar picture, despite rising by 1% last year. Around 147 k's of the county's minor roads, B, C and unclassified, needed fixing last year, which is equal to 4%. It's a sharp decline from 2012 to stroke 13, when 10% of the county's minor roads were in need of attention. 
The state of Worcestershire's roads is also a sharp contrast to the figures from neighbouring Herefordshire. Almost 23 k's of A roads in Herefordshire needed fixing last year, which was a total of 6%. Okay, there's a nice story here about persistence being rewarded. A Worcester man has scooped almost £3,000 on the Worcestershire Hospice's rollover lottery. John Weston joined the Hospice's lottery as a member in 1999, soon after it was set up to raise funds for local hospice care. It was not until his wife Jean was diagnosed with motor neurone disease in 2008 that Mr Weston and his family themselves benefited from hospice care through the city's St Richard's Hospice. Mr Weston, who is still deciding how to spend his win of £2,900, but is sure his family will have some good ideas, has praised St Richard's for their absolutely brilliant care. My wife was diagnosed in 2008 uh, with motor neurone disease and it was an illness we knew nothing about. Jean was cared for in the inpatient unit a couple of times and came back home and then also in the final weeks of her life until she died aged 67 in 2010. As well as the wonderful care, the personal touch was fantastic. For example, how they would do her hair for her and have lots of laughs and chat. He added, I also appreciate the way they treated the whole family, not just the patient. Mr Weston also benefited from support the St Richard's Hospice Carers Group gave him where all carers can come together to share their own experiences at regular meetings. The Worcestershire Hospice's Lottery raises funds for St Richard's Hospice, Acorns Children's Hospice Trust and Primrose Hospice, while at the same time providing an opportunity to win a cash prize of up to £1,000 each week or a rollover prize which can reach £3,000. Anyone wanting to know more can telephone 01905 760-909 or 760-910. Now this is about a pub which has had a makeover and I passed it today and it certainly looks in great shape. About two weeks ago, the Admiral Rodney pub at Barrow Green near Worcester was a building site. Workmen were still putting the finishing touches to a four-and-a-half-month refurbishment and hoping to meet a reopening deadline of March the 18th. But with a bit of persuasion from the pub's owner, Andrew Cornthwaite, the project came in before the deadline and the pub reopened just before Mothering Sunday a week early. Andrew, who owns the Admiral Rodney and the baiting house at Upper Sapi with his wife Kate Lane, said the baiting house was fully booked for diners on Mothering Sunday and staff were turning people away. There is no other pub in Markley and it was an opportunity for people to try the refurbished Admiral Rodney which had been closed for about 18 months. We finished the work and opened it on a wing and a prayer and we did about 70 covers for lunch on Mother's Day, he said. 
The project has been different from the baiting house, which was more of a rescue than a renovation. It was almost falling down. The Admiral Rodney has undergone a significant refurbishment, making the most of a sound building, refreshing some of the furniture, redecorating and adding some personal touches, like handmade individual and cluster lighting from Ross and Y supplier Fritz Fryer. Andrew said one of the main aims was to re-establish a community pub in Martley for the locals, as well as an eating and drinking venue for visitors from further afield. The village pub is at the heart of its local community, but this place can bring in tourists and do functions. I like the feel of the pub and the way we've got the space to have a proper local bar so that people can come in and have a drink, a nice restaurant with good food and a middle bit where people can eat in a more informal area. I hope we've created a place where all these things can coexist happily. I'm also happy with the way we've kept enough of the old that is familiar to someone who knows the pub from years ago. Kate has taken the lead on the interior design and some of the chairs were upholstered and blinds made by his cousin Carl Hobson and his wife Sally. While the menu offers a range of dishes from pub classics like quality sausage and mash to pie of the day, there are some more unusual dishes too and two vegetarian options. One of the pies of the day is always vegetarian and the other dish too. Our aspiration is to have a vegan starter and a vegan main course too, said Andrew. Although the Admiral Rodney is open for business, it isn't complete yet. Six rooms upstairs are still being finished, but should be open by the end of the month, and bookings are already starting to flood in, said Andrew. The old Skittle Alley is also undergoing a serious makeover and will operate as a function room while there is planning permission for three three three-bedroom lodges at the back. He also wants to establish a herb and vegetable plot at the back of the pub to serve the kitchen. Well, we've come to the end of this week's edition. I'd like to thank the team and hope you've enjoyed it. Have a good week and we'll be back with you soon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.